Champions of Psychology is meant as education and entertainment. It is not a substitute for medical advice or professional counseling. Discussion of mental health topics will be primarily rooted in research and the personal experiences and self-disclosures of the hosts. While we can provide generalized education and possible mental health resources, we cannot offer any recommendations, advice, or opinions for any specific persons, cases, or situations. We provide these resources and links at our sole discretion, but have not necessarily vetted or reviewed any resource. We assume no liability for the use of the information or resources on these sites, and we encourage you to use your own best judgment. Hello, and welcome to Champions of Psychology, a show, uh, sorry, a show with the goal of openly talking about mental health and gaming presented by Codename Entertainment and TakeThis.org. Every Tuesday at 12 p.m. Pacific time here on twitch.tv slash CNE Games or later on your favorite podcast service, meet your Jordan and Rafael Bucamazzo, a.k.a. Dr. B, talk about mental health and gaming uh, and health. See, I changed it and I got messed up. I got you some anxiety you, about a little change. This. little change. Any change, man. Little change. Welcome to the really show about hard. anxiety, gang. Yeah. 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 Uh, but uh, show uh, your goal is to talk about mental health and how gaming offense affects us. I can't read. If gaming you're does here not with offend the, us. If you're, gaming I, offends me. The funny thing Fully. is that literally my job today is reading questions. Uh, <laughs> if you're here with us live in the chat, you can leave a question that I, Trevor Bettis, will ask them pretty much throughout the show because today we are doing an anxiety AMA. But before we get to that, who are you two for the fine folks who may not know? I'm Mitra Jordan. I have, have a, uh, gosh, really, yeah, it's hard today. Oh, I, I um, think I think your iPad's playing music. <laughs> or playing us. Boy, we are just, welcome to the show of all technical yep. difficulties yep. all the time. Yep, that's a... Uh... I'll start over. <laughs> <laughs> also, apparently the overlay's wrong, so I'm going to fix that now. <laughs> today is one of them days. Today is one of them days. Yeah. So, yep. If you weren't anxious before, you know, and we're going to look at what what can help us, uh, what helps us cope as well with, with our anxiety. It's, oh, it says couples therapy and everything. What did I? What, what? is that happening? was last week? I even <laughs> copied and pasted and said that looked good. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> but yes, who are you? Two? <laughs> I'm still me. So I'm Mitra Jordan. I'm a clinician in private practice in Victoria, British Columbia. And I often talk about gaming and I often play games with my family and it comes up in client work. So, you know, if you know, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm Rafael Bocamazzo, better known as Dr. B for long Italian name reasons. And of course, my voice just broke right in that moment <laughs> that I'm gonna just gonna sound like squeaky voice teen for the rest of the show. Well, oh, sorry, Mr. Simpson, but the movie sold out. I have to ask my manager. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Um, I'm a clinical psychologist. Uh, apparently, uh, I'm responsible on some level. And uh, I'm the clinical director over at what was the first mental health nonprofit to serve the game industry. Take this. I'm also an expert on the applied use of role-playing games in clinical and learning settings. And I am here with Mitra and Trevor to talk about anxiety and i would love to say that this was all planned <laughs> in fact that's what i'm gonna say all of this was planned see we did this audience we did this for your benefit to Absolutely. demonstrate what could go wrong and how we cope with the anxiety 
of um, what you just saw for the last couple of minutes. Absolutely, because you see, in we front are of a live audience, calm, cool, yep. and collected, and we are always organized. Oh, yeah, absolutely, hundred mm-hmm. mm-hmm. percent. Yep. Now I don't recognize me, but never mind that. <laughs> <laughs> it's all planned. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we, we, we wanted to do, uh, uh, another AMA thing because, uh, we did really enjoy doing the, the ADHD and autism one. And we thought another one that we could speak, uh, pretty well on was anxiety. Um, and so what we're, what we're going to do, we got two awesome mods today. We've got Mars and Martin who are going to be grabbing questions. So go ahead and post questions in the chat about, uh, anxiety. Remember that we cannot offer advice. This is, we can talk about general stuff, but the, the, we, we are not here to solve problems, but to educate. Um, so, uh, go ahead and drop those in the chat with like, you know, all caps question beforehand. So the mods can easily see it and, uh, we'll, we'll be going through theirs. But before we do that, uh, we want to start off like how we always do with a definition. And even though we've done an episode on anxiety before, which you can go back and let's do it not right now. We're live. Go, go back and listen to it later. Um, <laughs> um, what, what, what is anxiety for those who haven't uh, seen that one? You want to take this, Mitra? Or? No, no, I really want you to take okay. it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Well, okay. So for um, one of the things I, I like to remind people is that when they're when they're working, all emotions are they serve a functional purpose. And even the even the unpleasant ones like like fear. And um, because when it's working properly, fear lets us know that we're in danger, and it motivates us to take actions to keep ourselves safe um it's not you know i don't know about you but outside of like roller coasters and the occasional scary movie i'm not a big fan of fear in my life Mm -mm. um it's part of the my sin my cynicism uh whenever i hear motivational quotes about you know we have nothing to fear i'm like really have you not been paying attention um there's there's some things i could name and but one of the distinctions that I've heard uh, over and over and over again about the difference between fear and anxiety is that fear is present-based, anxiety is future-based. Mm-hmm. Like we're afraid of what's in front of us. We're anxious about what can happen. And a- anxiety, just like any other emotion, serves a functional purpose when it's working correctly. And the metaphor I used before is a smoke alarm. Smoke alarms are not pleasant when they're going off, but when they're working properly, boy, do they save lives. But the problem with things like anxiety disorders, and this is where all three of us can speak from personal experience, is what happens when you've got, an ang- when you've got a smoke alarm in your house that goes off for everything? Like the smoke alarm in my house that goes off if I boil pasta water too vigorously. That's what we like to, that's what I like to think of when it comes to anxiety-based disorders um, that you've, that you've got the, the smoke alarm going off for all the time for no identifiable reason, or it's just overly sensitive. Basically the smoke alarm is malfunctioning. So that's that's my quick summation of uh, that is my quick summation of anxiety. There we go. Yes. Thank you, everybody. Good night. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
so uh, well I'll, I'll leave it up to you two do you want to just hop and do some questions because we we do have some that we got from twitter we do have some that are coming in but uh was there other things that we want to talk about first well, we can talk about some of the ways in which anxiety can present itself mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. so you know when we typically think of anxiety we might think of an anxiety attack, for example, we can we might think of you know a panic situation. We might also think of um, just not being able to manage our emotions or function because we're so anxious. We're all over the place. We might think of someone looking as if they're overly caffeinated. Like I'm just trying to think of what are the messages out there in terms of how people behave and in their body that sort of signal, oh, that person might be anxious. But that's, and, and so those are kind of the obvious ones where you're like, oh, wow, you know, you really kind of freaked out or unsettled or upset and, you know, but really anxiety presents in a bunch of different ways. Um, there were points in my life where <clears throat> I was certainly experiencing a fair amount of anxiety, but if you saw me, or even if you knew me as a friend, you might not actually recognize that that was going on. You might have thought I'm actually quite calm really very controlled, you know, not necessarily worried about anything at all. And I bring this up because I want to draw attention to the fact that our internal perceptions might not look like what we're projecting. And if, if I'm anxious and I see other people and they seem to be managing pretty well and coping with their lives and looking really calm, it's easy to get the message myself that everybody else has it together why don't I, right? And it is because when we're dealing with really pretty much any mental health issue, to a degree, we can be quite good at masking, right? So you can be severely depressed and go to work and laugh and make jokes and cope with your day and then go home and, I don't know, collapse on the couch, not be able to function. Um, you know, we hear about people who end their lives and, you know, people are really shocked. They didn't realize that somebody had such a, you know, profoundly challenging experience in terms of their mental health. Um, so you can be really quite anxious and it doesn't necessarily show on the surface. You can also be quite anxious and not be in touch with your own anxiety. So... You can be in a profoundly avoidant state sometimes, pushing away any feelings of fear or anxiousness or, you know, and not even recognize that the underlying feeling is anxiety. Mm -hmm. So just bringing that into the picture. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I always did love one time when I... Uh... And I talked about that. I was like, I was having massive anxiety problems and everything like that. One of my friends was like, but you, you, you seem so like calm and collected. I'm like, neat trick, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and one, I just want to remind folks that, you know, we've said this on the show a couple of, you know, many times in the past that all, me all mental health diagnoses are outward behaviors of internal distress. Mm -hmm. And that in the outward behaviors can vary as can the internal distress. Um, a lot of people can exhibit the same behaviors for very, very different reasons. And that makes, that's part of the reason diagnoses are, you know, tricky. And as one prominent psychiatrist said, should be made with pencil instead of pen, because um, get things wrong. 
Um, but yeah, it's, you know, reflecting internal states is, and behaviors, they don't always sync up the way we expect them to. And that's a whole show unto itself. Yeah. It's why often, you know, people look at diagnoses and they'll come back from a visit to their GP or to a psychiatrist and they'll say, oh, you know, I thought I was depressed, but they're telling me it's anxiety. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so that's, you know, getting really understanding a person's felt experience and for a diagnosis to really make sense, you actually have to really spend time with Mm -hmm. that client and help them work out what they're experiencing. So, yeah. Right, right, right. right. mm -hmm. Well, the, you know, one of the, God, one of the things, and we've talked about this before, is the idea that, you know, diagnoses are, uh, diagnoses are not all encompassing of a person labels have labels have usage but they also have a lot of limitations yeah. like i've i've mentioned in the past when i got my autism uh diagnosis I, I that was incredibly validating to me because for me it was like oh my god enough people struggle with the stuff that i'm struggling with that there's a name for it and i'm not just making this up mm-hmm. um it, but you know that doesn't encapsulate the entirety of me because of the fact that like so many other folks who are autistic um, and other folks with ADHD and so forth, there's secondary stuff to this as well to to complicate the onion and make more layers that is me. Um, You know, I'm anxious as all get out because of the socialized aspects of being autistic in a non-autistic world, Uh, being told God, how many times, you know, raise your hand, folks, if you have been corrected for socially, for for behaviors that are not normal more often than other people. And not even harmful (laughs) behaviors, just behaviors that are different. But there's research to support the idea that, you know, kids with ADHD, kids who are autistic are corrected in some cases thousands of more times over their childhoods than kids kids without ADHD or autism or other stuff because we're different, we're weird. And guess what? It's going to make us anxious. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, and I can, I can sort of elaborate on that with a little bit of a personal story. So as a, as a younger child, I did really well in school. I learned to read very early. Um, I felt pretty good about myself, you know. Um, well, see, that I, was your first problem right there. Self-esteem is just the death of <laughs> happiness. Uh, really, we got to squash that down <laughs> at all points. We cannot have kids proud of themselves. That's just a problem. So so the early school experience was pretty good. And then <laughs> things sort of started to go all to hell by kind of uh, particularly by, I'd say, the middle school period. Um, And it was difficult because there were some things I was still good at, like the reading and literature stuff, but some things I had um, been in and out of school, so I hadn't had a chance to really stay consistent with math. And also it was super boring, excuse me, I know math itself isn't boring, but I'm just saying from, from the perspective of someone with ADHD, this was not something I was able to stay focused on, Mm -hmm. and therefore I was having trouble with it. And so so as soon as I started to have trouble with it, and also it was more of a struggle, then it looked like it was for other people. And of course, ADHD wasn't something that was caught, as in discovered, figured out in terms of my life experience with school. So 
there was clearly something wrong with me that everyone else was able to do this and I wasn't. So it became a stress. And there was lots of being um, singled out <clears throat> for not doing my homework or for not knowing what I was doing or whatever to do with math. The point of all this is I started to get pretty anxious about math and this came out in a whole bunch of other behaviors that meant mm. I was mostly avoidant yep. in terms of math. I seriously, I remember opening up my desk and reading a comic during a math class. So then I started to get in trouble. In other words, then a bunch of negative experiences yep. started to affect my relationship with math, yep. which meant the anxiety around math increased. This eventually meant the anxiety around school and certain subjects and the idea of being dumb. And of course, math affects chemistry and biology and physics. So as time went on, I started to develop this idea that these were not things I could do. I was not good at them. And in the educational system that I was in at the time, there was this idea <clears throat> that you just didn't have an innate capacity to do things, which really let teachers off the hook in terms of thinking, maybe we're gonna start teaching this very well. That, that, that honestly sounds just like me with reading. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. So there ended up being this anxiety around school anyway, which got better at times and got worse at times, but the avoidant piece came into it. So if I was struggling, I would not go. And if you don't go, you get behind on your work. And if you're behind on your work, you get more anxious. So this is how anxiety and avoidance interact quite often for people. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I, so a lot of, God, a lot of the times when I've worked with clients um, who, who have social anxiety and, you know, it's an interesting thing as someone with fairly significant social anxiety to work with other people who struggle with some of the same things I do in different ways. Um, the, the idea of building resilience is, has, has become so important. Like we, we, we had so many technical snafus that we totally planned 100% <laughs> planned. Totally. I mean it. No, we didn't. Sure. No, we didn't yes. at all. It, but there's, there's a difference between encountering stuff like that when you have, when we think we can't deal with things, whether it's imagined or we really don't, we really don't have the capability of dealing with those things, um, versus a, a an idea that we can cope with it, we can roll with it. Then those those mistakes end up being framed very, very differently. Mm -hmm. And so often, a lot of the a lot of the folks I work with uh, with uh, who struggle with social anxiety, again, I'm I'm in that category too. Um, there's a lack of uh, essentially empowerment mm -hmm. that there, the I can't handle it is a very pervasive thought mm -hmm. for a lot of these folks. And in some of their, some cases, there are actual limitations there to how they can handle things. Um, and in some cases there isn't, but that lack of empowerment is a core element to mm -hmm. a lot of the anxiety um, that I've worked with historically. And so, you know, work to empower. 
Um, okay, I, I, I do I do think I uh, should pass over to some questions. Questions. Uh, we can get plenty of them of them in here. Um, I think actually what I'm going to do real quick though, I'm actually going to play the disclaimer now <gasps> instead of halfway through the show, so we can just do questions. This is our disclaimer for those who are you are just joining us to keep in mind while you're posting your questions, which you can still do in chat and our awesome mods Mar Mars and Martin will grab them. But quick, quick disclaimer first. Champions of Psychology is meant as education and entertainment. It is not a substitute for medical advice or professional counseling. Discussion of mental health topics will be primarily rooted in research and the personal experiences and self-disclosures of the hosts. While we can provide generalized education and possible mental health resources, we cannot offer any recommendations, advice, or opinions for any specific persons, cases, or situations. We provide these resources and links at our sole discretion, but have not necessarily vetted or reviewed any resource. We assume no liability for the use of the information or resources on these sites, and we encourage you to use your own best judgment. Okay. Uh, let's start off. So we, we actually posted, well, Dr. B posted about this, uh, yesterday, uh, and we got some responses on Twitter. Um, I'm going to actually combine, uh, two of these together cause they're very similar. Uh, but, uh, we'll start off with this one, which is, um, how can I explain my general anxiety to my husband who does not have it? It seems like I can't find a way to make it compute in his mind, uh, that I can make, uh, phone calls and travel cross country solo, but sometimes being in a crowd or confronting someone makes me want to throw up. Um, and this was, I'm combining this with the other one, which is just, how do I explain my anxiety to those who don't feel it? Uh, for example, to neurotypicals who believe it's just, uh, feeling a little weird and a bit off. <laughs> um, so yeah, how, how, how do you go about doing that? Um, well, I can actually use a, uh, an example that worked for me. So, um, as someone who wasn't raised in the Northern hemisphere, I struggled a lot with the cold. Um, I struggled with feeling always cold. I struggled with worrying about the cold and kind of preparing for it, which <clears throat> kind of is a weird thing if you've always had to live, if you just aren't as cold sensitive and if you've always lived in a Northern Hemisphere. Um, and so my partner and my kids have all been raised here. And, you know, my cries of, don't forget to take your sweater, you know, often fell on deaf ears because they really didn't feel the same. So one year, um, my partner and I were on a trip down south uh, to California, to Disneyland and a couple of other warm weather things. And I was talking about the cold and how glad I was to get away from it. And I ended up saying, yeah, so, you know, um, it's just something that's always on my mind. And, you know, there's these thoughts around, I need to make sure I have a sweater. I need to make sure that I'm warmly dressed. You know, if it's raining, I need to. And, and it has, in my description of what went through my head repeatedly every day, he finally understood what it felt like to be me. Now, he didn't have a personal felt sense of it, but he could understand for the first time, I think, what it actually was like to always be pervasively worrying about that. So I think you have to be really clear in your description of your experience. Like these thoughts just keep coming up and I'm always worried about the what if, 
whatever it is that's going on for you, I think it helps to really describe the process that you're experiencing all the time. Yeah. This is one, you know, for me, this is one of those times where good media representation, this is why good media representation is so important. Yes. Like people, uh, I, I see people on, cause I'm, I'm on Twitter a lot and I, I, I see people, well, it's just, it's just a game. Don't be so sensitive or whatever. When people are saying, Hey, I'd like to see, you know, folks like me represented better in certain things. Mm -hmm. And there's a power to being able to take take someone we care about and to be able to show them a piece of media that does a good job mm-hmm. of, of capturing the essence of our experiences. Now, of course it can't capture all the minutia because art is distilled and, um, and, and sort of inflated in its focus, but it can capture the vibe and the experience of things and I love finding good media representations of some of the things with which I struggle and being able to, t- and to show this to people who care enough to listen and say, that's what it's like for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then there's this magical moment that happens where I have been trying to explain my experiences for so long and suddenly the words click and now they're asking questions in a way they never have before. Mm-hmm. How long has this been going on for you? Oh my God, is it that much of a struggle for mm-hmm. you to get through your day-to-day activities? Are airports really that distressing for you? And my answer is yes. yes. And very often I will start to cry because they are seeing me for the first time, yeah. despite, you know, in some cases, years of being able to say, no, you don't understand. No, you don't understand that is the power of good media representation mm-hmm. absolutely do do you do you can you think of any good media re- representation of anxiety i know there's yeah. there, no there's not that a isn't a one. joke <laughs> yeah see that's the problem is that yeah. like m- most of the time with anxiety it gets played off as the joke like the one that pops in my head is the the simon Pegg movie a fantastic fear of everything where it's just somebody who has a massive anxiety disorder and then ends up being right about something because nobody believed him because he was afraid of everything. I'm like, right. that's more terrifying though, because that means his brain gets to go, I was right. God. And I knew I knew y'all were gonna ask this as soon as I brought up good media representation. <laughs> and I'm 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 searching my brain banks for anything that is uh, that's a good represent because the problem is that anxiety comes in so many different flavors mm-hmm. that there's no one, Hey, this is the great, this is the great representation of anxiety that just doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, no. We do see great representations of phobias because phobias mm-hmm. are incredibly uh, they can get um, yeah, they, they can get incredible. They're debilitating. Yeah. Um. I. I. My fear of heights is bad enough that. Oh, um. I. I didn't realize how bad it was until the first time I played Minecraft and I built a tower too tall and I panned the camera down and I could feel my palms sweating. Um. I. I, I know that. I, I, but anxiety comes in so many different flavors and that's part of the problem. Mm-hmm. So I'm. I'm mostly stalling at this point because I can't <laughs> think of any. That's fair. Really All good right. representations oh, oh. that portray things sensitively and with enough depth. Mitra, yeah. do you have one there? I don't, but what I do have 
is a thought around why that isn't the case. Mm. Um, I think that particularly in North America, uh, there's this idea of how important it is to be strong, how important it is to hold ourselves together. Mm -hmm. And even in our, if you think about the literature, we look for a hero or a protagonist of some sort who is, who can get it together or, or who is um, not afraid to go after what they want. And even if they start out a little timid, we want to see them progress into becoming much stronger. So this is a problem in terms of storytelling, because when we're in terms of media, the stories we want to tell, fictional or not, are stories around some kind of hero arc, where you have someone who's struggling and then they overcome it. Nothing wrong with that. But I can't think of a really good message around someone who's been struggling profoundly with anxiety in their life and overcome it, partly because of a misunderstanding around people's experience of anxiety. Mm -hmm. I think that gets in the way, right? Because we want to believe this is a thing we overcome. A lot of times in my experience with clients, anxiety is something that you manage. And the more over time you're able to manage things, the less anxiety is running the show, but it's gradual. It's like the change process. It's incremental. Mm-hmm. It's very rare that someone can come do some work and now presto change. they no longer feel anxious yep. because the problem with anxiety is it's an embodied response. It's a somatic response to threat. At some point in our life, there was threat, or we grew up with someone who felt highly threatened because of their own trauma, and we carry this in our, in our body, in how we react in the world. And so anxiety, conquering anxiety, starts with getting in touch with your own internal system and being able to find a way to rest. Um, meditation can help, walks can help, exercise can help hot baths can help all of that can help and it's going to be very individual Mm -hmm. and so it's a process over time medication as well as meditation medication is also extremely useful for people because they can have an experience of themselves as not anxious and that can make all the difference in the world go on I actually have a question to pop in on that one, uh, which is, let's see, who is this from? Uh, This is from uh, GumbyFan1. Question, is it possible that antidepressant meds could help treat anxiety too? Yeah, because there are some um, antidepressant meds, particularly the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors or SSRI class of meds. um, And there's even an SNRI that can help, that also can, uh, can help with the anxiety response. There are specific ones though, so I would definitely talk to your doctor. I've known of clients on SSRIs that eh, it's helping them manage feelings around depression and other stuff, but hasn't been particularly useful for anxiety. Mm -hmm. So there are some that are particularly earmarked for anxiety and also may work for you as an individual. So it's worth having a conversation Mm -hmm. um, with a doctor about that one. Okay. Um, let's go to our next one. So, well, actually, to, to recap real quick for the original question, explain the thought process of your anxiety. Try and get them to relate in some way about it because I know that's what I did with my friend. Um, and like I just walked him through a thought process of just a small bit of anxiety, and he's like, "You you think like that all the time?" I go, "Yeah, it's terrible." 
let's play the game of how can my brain say this is going to go wrong yeah 100 percent. and i remember um anne lamott an author putting it this way um you wouldn't want to meet this is paraphrasing you wouldn't want to meet my brain in a dark alley <laughs> like, <laughs> my brain is the dark alley you don't want to walk down essentially i like um, that yeah and it's one of the reasons you'll never catch me watching a horror movie or even mm. reading a book about horror. I actually do like some Stephen King and there are things I have read, but I remember them rather too clearly mm. and often at the wrong moment. And so I have really learned what it is that's going to set me off and what isn't yeah. in terms of what material I want to engage with in the world, so. Um, I, I had one like that because I'm, I, I do have like, I, it's not diagnosed or anything, but like medical stuff does freak me out. And that's gotten worse and worse in, in my adulthood to the point I can't watch Scrubs anymore. Like, uh, like besides, you know, not great jokes that were in there to begin with. Uh, but like I used hasn't to love well. Yeah. has not aged well. Oof, not no, oof. but like, I, I was like, Oh, I loved Scrubs when I was watching it, I'll put that on. And I, and I put it on the background and I started hearing things and my brain just latched yeah. onto them and would not stop. And I had, and I just couldn't watch it anymore. Uh, yeah. Same with house. Definitely with house. Couldn't do that. One. <laughs> um, but let's get to another question here. Uh, this one uh, is another one from Twitter. Uh, said, I want to know how to tell if my anxiety is warning me about something I should actually be concerned about or not. And if not, how to calm my anxiety without being dismissive uh, slash minimizing my own feelings. This is a very good question because really what you're question. talking about is how do I distinguish between my intuitive sense and my anxiety, right? Because your intuitive sense is a hunch that doesn't always make sense. And your anxiety sometimes comes up with thoughts and feelings that don't always make sense, but in some contexts perhaps would. And so that's the trick. So a piece of it, a piece of work that's really useful um, is when we use your favorite tool, um, Dr. B, which is, um, Oh my God, my brain is not functioning today. My eight um, inch Ken Onion Shun chef's knife? That's the one. Um, no, where you cut through some of the stuff our, uh, we tell ourselves to make better and more clear sense of it. It is CBT. So cognitive behavioral therapy and some of the, see, it came back to me. I, I'm going to I'm gonna put an asterisk there from the CBT practitioner on this. I'll get to Please. it when Mitra is done. Sounds good. Um, I guess what I'm trying to get to here, rather not so clearly, is there's a way in which you can ask yourself some questions about your experience um, without judging yourself. Okay, I have a lot of feelings about this that are all over the place, right? You might journal a bit about it. You might talk to someone else about it, someone you trust. Because I know people don't think the way we do, particularly not if we're feeling anxious, but writing it down somehow helps make sense of it or talking it through so that what is it I'm actually worried about here, right? You know, and it's usually about something that might happen in the future. Anxiety is always future-based, but it's sometimes also based on a past thing that has happened. Is it realistic to think that this might happen again? Why and in what way? What am I noticing here? that's reminding me of this past event, right? What am I experiencing here? So don't judge, but ask yourself those kinds of questions. Um, is that really true? 
is it really possible, right? And, and not in a anything's possible, my imagination is now playing out on a massive theater, um, but more of a really, um, you know, will my, I, I don't know what the question would be that's got the intuition versus anxiety piece, but if it's around trust of someone else, you could always put off saying yes to whatever it is, right? You could always say, I'll think about it. You could always say, maybe. So if part of it is the intuitive sense or the anxious sense that, oh, there's something fishy here, give yourself more time, right? Um, so in terms of practical steps, writing about it, talking about it, choosing to give yourself more time. Um, you don't want to move into avoidance, but you can move into kind of waiting. So instead of jumping to action, allowing yourself a little space. Just some strategies to cope with that. Yeah. Okay. CBT. So I want to give, I want to <laughs> give, uh, um, I want to give a, a little disclaimer to uh, some of that, some of that stuff, because um so for context, for those of you who are maybe just joining us for the first time, I was actually trained in cognitive behavioral therapy pretty intensely by someone who was trained by the creator of cognitive behavioral therapy. And that was part of my training. And um, I have a big beef with the way cognitive behavioral therapy has been misapplied and weaponized to mm -hmm. minimize people's experiences because cognitive behavioral therapy in its core is supposed to be a non-judgmental um, empirical discovery process, the way actually the way Mitra so beautifully described. Um, but there are a lot of quick fix folks out there and even licensed therapists, psychologists who use cognitive behavioral therapy as a hammer for telling people that they're thinking wrong. Yes. And when there are a lot of things in society that we have every right to be realistically anxious about and it doesn't do us any good in fact it's long term quite harmful for us to downplay and deny realistic fears um and so i and so um the, i've actually started leaning into uh, what's called well aspects of what's called acceptance commitment therapy mm -hmm. uh, because acceptance commitment therapy one thing i think it does well is point out the functionality and the importance of emotions in serving us as opposed to pathologizing certain emotions the way a lot of mental health has historically. Fear is functional when it's working right. And so a friend of mine who's an ACT practitioner asked me a question one time, what, is, what purpose is your fear serving? What, are, what is it trying to do for you? And I, I, have, I have literally had conversations with my anxiety, thanking it for yep. trying to protect me from certain things. And um, then I have, I, I, I've per and this is just what I have done. And of course, if you're struggling with any sort of anxiety, um, but that any sort of anxiety and you don't know what to do, of course, consult a licensed mental health professional because we can't give you direct We can't give you advice on this. Um, but yeah, I I've had conversations with my anxiety about what it's trying to protect me from. And then empirically explored, is this a likely fear? Is this a likely scenario? And so forth the way Mitra, um, really so elegantly described. 
Um, but that's that's one of the way I's do, I, I does it. I do it. I does whatever. I like okay. that you does it like that. <laughs> I, yeah, no, grammar, grammar. You does good. <laughs> yes, words, good. Um, the But yeah, uh, if, if that's a question you have, this, this is something that you can chat with uh, a mental health professional because not all, sometimes our anxieties are, um, our, our, our anxieties are incredibly realistic and accurate. And sometimes their reactions based on past experiences yeah. or even future experiences that we fear occurring. And so, um, I, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of nuance there and there's no one answer for any one person. Mm -hmm. Um, I know I saw this come up in the chat. Um, one, one workbook, one cognitive behavioral therapy workbook that I like to use, um, is the anxiety and worry workbook. Um, but just heads up, incredibly clinical language, which means it's factual and cold. <laughs> oh, it, it ain't warm and fuzzy. <laughs> and um, yeah. yeah. Um, the, the, okay. I just want to add one yep. thing. Do thank your anxiety. Yes. And try not to judge it. If you want to get to why the anxiety is there, that's an exploration process that you can certainly do with the therapist or even on your own, sometimes it might be it might be quite understandable to you why that anxiety is there. So recognize that it has it's there for a reason that has at one point probably made sense in your life, right? Um, for instance, if your family went through a divorce and separation when you were eight, and you then had a lot less access to one of those parents, right? And then you get into a relationship and maybe things are stressful for a while, you're probably going to feel extremely anxious around the possible separation or loss of your partner, right? Because you have experience perhaps of losing someone important in your life, right? So if you can kind of link up the sort of what it is that brought that anxiety into being with your current life, and why are these things reoccurring or why are these kinds of thoughts reoccurring? There's usually a theme to the kinds of thoughts, the kinds of anxious thoughts, I should say, that you're experiencing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. The, the next one I've got here is from uh, Asriel underscore PC. Question, is anxiety considered a spectrum? Hmm. I, in, in terms, does, is there one anxiety or there are lots of kinds of anxiety? Um, yeah, lots of kinds of anxiety, many different, many different flavors of anxiety, many different flavors of anxiety disorder, what... which is part of the reason they are the most common diagnoses because mm -hmm. yes. there are so many different kinds of anxiety-based disorders. Um, and does, and if we think about things on a spectrum or a continuum of things, um, yeah, anxiety, like just about everything else, exists on a continuum. There are some people that are more obviously affected by anxiety. Um, some people who struggle to get through their day-to-day -day lives but are still affected pretty heavily. Hi. Um, the, they're like anything else. That it, that's a tricky thing with mental health stuff. It's not like you can do a swab for strep yeah. throat. Um, and say, oh, oh, look at that. You have this variant of depression. You, it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like so many things in mental health, sort of, it depends. Also, it's more complicated than that. So yay. 
Yeah, also dependent on what's happening in your life. There are times when we're all feeling more stable, less anxious, and vice versa. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I had to read this one um, uh, twice to, to, to understand what's going on there, but it, I, I really do like this question. This is from Stabigail the Cobalt. Uh, question, is it normal to be able to do the thing that gives you anxiety if it makes someone else more anxious? So essentially, so essentially, so let's say that this is your anxiety level for doing the thing, the thing that's causing your anxiety. But there's another person that you care about that has a higher level of anxiety. Like you, you you're just kind of freak out a bit that puts them into a panic attack. Knowing that gives you the ability to do the thing. Like, because huh. you know they really, really can't, it allows you to do it. Is, huh. is, is, is that something that y'all have heard of? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sure. I think that occurs in many ways, you know. So, so if I'm hearing the question right, I'll, to make it concrete in a minor way, say I have um, trouble making phone calls. This is actually a very common thing. Very common. People experience yep. anxiety. Extremely with, right? common. So, I have trouble making phone calls, but my partner really can't do it. And we need to get them to, I don't know, an appointment of some sort or a doctor's visit, or we've been told we have to call at such and such time for something. Um, yeah, if I need to do it for them, it might be easier than it would be to do for me, for example, mm -hmm. right? And if I know it's something that creates more anxiety for them, then I might step up and do it, yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is the, the, okay. So we've, we've talked about this before, but one of this, these wild misnomers or, you know, misapplied ideas is the idea of capable versus incapable. Like there, it's not a binary. Um, there are things that are easier for us to do that may be harder for other people to do. And sometimes social comparisons can be really useful. Sometimes they can be really toxic and sometimes yeah. they can be inspirational. It's not that uncommon. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, like the things I, I do know that you know, from my own personal experience, I have a hundred percent done something like this, but mm -hmm. I, I thought it was an interesting question to bring up a, a, of if it is a common thing that people have found. Sure. I'll add one more thing too, mm. which is that some days we're also more able than other days, right? So I might know I have something I have to do and there's a deadline and I say I have three days or something. So I might not be able to make that phone call this morning. I might be able to do it in the afternoon. Mm. Um, I might be able to do it if a friend is around, right? Mm -hmm. Even though I'm the yeah. one still making the call, I might be able to do it if right. I make a safe call to someone else and I rehearse the call, right? So there's, oh. there's actually a lot of tools we can use to, to manage certain kinds of anxiety, right? And I often have had people, um, they've talked through, say, dental appointments or mm -hmm. going in to talk to their boss or whatever. So in session, we'll talk through some of that, you know, things they want to say, things they don't want to say, what they'd like to get across. Um, so when people have fears, they can often uh, rehearse ahead of time. So, and that can also help. So thinking about the time that you're going to do whatever it is that's, that's you know, creating anxiety for you, the supports that are going to be around you at that time, and whether you have kind of had an opportunity to rehearse if that's a thing that's possible, depending on what it is, right? Or prepare would be another word for that. Um, you can set yourself up for a little bit more success 
or, you know, a trial effort that's going to go better. Mm -hmm. Right. And environment, you know, Mitra is bringing up a variety of environmental and systemic factors that can affect us that, um, you know, there's things I can't do without a little bit of guidance. But when I have uh, someone who gets me over that first hurdle, that gives me enough mental momentum to, to get past some of the other stuff. There's, there's certain things that I can't do without ongoing hints and helps. And that, and there are certain things that I'm just straight up not capable of doing effectively. Um, now, thankfully, uh, I've, you know, got a significant other who understands that. In fact, part of her work, understanding that, and we're able to support each other in, in ways in which both of us struggle. Like um, there's things that she's good at that I'm not, and there's things that I'm amazing at that she's not. And it just becomes part of our day-to-day routine that we, we basically, we look out for each other because there's no single play. I go to sports ball metaphors a lot, but there's no single player that makes up the entire team. Everybody plays their positions and you don't expect for, sorry, American football. Um, uh, you don't expect the punter to throw a touchdown pass unless it's John Ryan from the Seahawks. I guess. All right, you then. <laughs> I'll show you the clip. Okay, it was a trick they play that shouldn't have well. worked. They sported so good. They sported so well. He they did, and he tweeted so well afterwards because as he threw as a punter that touchdown pass, he made a horrible face and said on Twitter, "Reminder: Make cooler face when I do something cool." You can't. That's the problem. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Um, okay, so the, the the last one we've got here uh, before, we, before we're going to wrap up, uh, we've touched on a little bit, but I, I figure it's a good place to, to expand on a little bit. Uh, this is from Reaver01. Question, can someone develop severe avoidance behaviors to compensate for anxiety? Totally, 100%. Yes, yeah. 100. Yeah. Common, super common. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, like, uh, Mitra, like you were saying earlier with uh, with school stuff, with math, like. Oh, that, totally that... avoidant. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Terrified of trying, you know, um, it was very, it, it really would flood my system, actually. Um, mm-hmm. I had to get through it. Uh, and I was eventually able to get a really excellent tutor so I could get through master's level stats, which I hated every second. <laughs> no, it was great. Awesome. But um, yes, so you definitely, it, it can be quite debilitating. So well, and if you think about it, I mean, it's, the avoiding things is a net in the short term avoiding things is super effective to manage anxiety <laughs> absolutely it's your first there's strategy. a reason we do it like hey that thing's going to cause me a lot of anxiety hey it's already causing me anxiety what's up destiny too how you doing yeah. and mm. it's just super con- it's super easy to avoid things um but one of the problems that can come from that sort of behavior is that um, for a lot of people, and again, everybody's different, and I can only talk about common patterns. If you have questions about what's going on for you, go see a licensed mental health provider. Um, there's There becomes a difference between distraction and avoidance, and avoidance in a long-term pattern of behavior can become disempowering. Mm-hmm. And so for a lot of people, avoidance, which again, is a pretty effective short-term strategy for managing our anxiety mm-hmm. 
can become evidence in and of itself of an inability to cope with something. And also a tremendous contributor to anxiety. Right. Because the more you can avoid something uh, or do, um, the worse it gets. Think about someone who avoids opening a bill because they, uh, you know, they don't feel in control of being able to cope with it or pay for it. Mm -hmm. But the more you avoid, <clears throat> the worse it gets. Um, so let's let's briefly look at what we should be doing instead um, or how that whole mechanism of anxiety avoidance works. So the more anxious we are about something, the more we're like to avoid it, the more anxious we then start to feel, the more we avoid. And you see that pattern, right? Um, I am that what pattern. We, <laughs> what we need to do is throw control into the mix. The more anxious I am about something, the less control I feel. The less control I feel, the more anxious I start to feel. Okay. However, if we can bring control into the service of anxiety, it does help. So for instance, with that phone call example I gave where I talked about rehearsing it or being with a friend, that's bringing control into the picture. If I'm finding it tough to leave the house, what circumstances might improve that? Would it be better if I were leaving with someone? Would it be better if I was leaving by car? Would it be better if I was leaving on a bike or on foot? Like what is going to improve that capacity? Where am I going? Is it better if I'm going to meet a friend for coffee? Like, do you see what I'm saying here? If you, if you can find ways to bring some control into the picture then you bring down the avoidance and you bring down the anxiety because often anxiety has to do with things we can't control and things we feel out of control around. So if we can exert some control in some way, either talking ourselves through it and recognizing that, yeah, this piece we don't have control over, but this piece we do. Afraid of the cold? I can take a jacket. There's some control there, right? So. Well, yeah. and there are, there are certainly circumstances really briefly where avoidance becomes the form of control. And this is why there's no one answer. And this is part of the reason yeah. we can't tell you all, yeah. you know, individualized advice yeah. for things, because there are certainly circumstances that are like systemic forms of oppression that you don't necessarily have individual control over. And for a lot of folks, um, I'm, I'll speak for myself. I mean, there's certain issues around autism that I don't have control over. I don't, I, and I just, avoidance becomes my form of empowerment. Like this is the thing I can control mm -hmm. in this circumstances. I can sidestep this thing entirely. And yep. that is my control. Yep. And I think that's fair at times. I won't go see horror movies. There's probably certain kinds yeah. of gatherings I'm not interested in doing, or I'm not going to be able to do. For instance, activist as I might be in some ways, no, I'm, I'm not going to be found picketing or demonstrating because crowds are way too much for me. So I'll find other ways to meet that need and to speak up about things without putting myself into those kinds of situations. So I might avoid one thing, but finding a way to confront in another way. I like that. Mm -hmm. Um, well, we do need to start wrapping up because uh, we, we've got uh, another show. Well, free broadcast coming up right after it. Uh, friends, where can people find you on the interwebs if they would like to do so? I am available through my Twitter and also at MitraJordan.com. 
and I am a, I'm around. Um, I'm the Dr. B T H E E D O C T O R B is in boy on most of the socials, but you know who you, who should, you should, who I can say words today. I <laughs> going out. No, that was we started. That got stuck right there. Um, y'all saw it. Y'all heard it. I'm not taking it back, but <laughs> you know who you should be following instead of me is take this org, the organization that I work for, the first mental health nonprofit to serve the mental health needs of gamers, in, you know, both on the industry and on the consumer side at take this org on all socials. Absolutely. Uh, and thank you uh, so much for joining us today. We do got to get out of here pretty quickly, so I'm going to wrap this up uh, fast. Uh, thank you both for uh, answering these questions. Uh, and uh, yeah, just thank you for being here. And I hope to see you here next week. So that's going to do it for this week's show. Take care of yourself. Champions of Psychology is meant as education and entertainment. It is not a substitute for medical advice or professional counseling. Discussion of mental health topics will be primarily rooted in research and the personal experiences and self-disclosures of the hosts. While we can provide generalized education and possible mental health resources, we cannot offer any recommendations, advice, or opinions for any specific persons, cases, or situations. We provide these resources and links at our sole discretion, but have not necessarily vetted or reviewed any resource. We assume no liability for the use of the information or resources on these sites, and we encourage you to use your own best judgment.